This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. More with Senator Heidi Heitkamp next here on Open Mic. Our task is simple yet monumental, to provide enough food for the world while protecting it at the same time. We believe that with the right combination of innovative science, tenacious problem solving, and unshakable passion, we can do it. We will meet the needs of today while laying a foundation for a better tomorrow. With One World to Grow On, we strive to deliver innovative solutions that help maximize farm yields, secure harvest from devastating disease and pests, and keep our world healthy and beautiful. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. For more information, visit BayerCropScience.us. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our guest this week is U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp. The North Dakota Democrat is an outspoken advocate for agriculture and rural America and is very active in various committees in the U.S. Senate. Senator Heitkamp says a leadership compromise last week on the TPA bill to include African trade and customs policy has brought guarded optimism for Senate approval of trade promotion authority for President Obama. Well, I expect that there's going to be a series of amendments, some of which will will address the two issues that I've been talking about. Uh, people feel very strongly about currency. Uh, you can see uh, that from uh, my colleague from South Carolina, who has said that he's not satisfied with the agreement uh, that was forged in the Finance Committee relative to currency. Uh, we have a bipartisan amendment that both Debbie Savinell and Rob Portman are advancing, and obviously, I think a lot of people look to the senator from Ohio because he has been the USTR. And so, I, I expect that what we're going to see is a lot of a lot of amendments. I'm not sure we're going to be able to plow through them all to, to basically get resolution next week. I think it just depends on whether we can get an agreement on amendments or not. So, do you see the 13 Democrats that voted in favor for cloture the second time as a slam dunk for the overall vote on TPA, or must they still be won? I think that most of them would say, "Look," and, and you already have the ones that voted for the package coming out of finance, and and you know that those votes are enough if they get unanimous support on the Republican side to basically. Um, move this package forward and send it over to the House. So I wouldn't want to presume or say this is absolutely a for sure done deal, but I think obviously 13 Democrats voting to get on the bill is, is a very positive sign for TPA. Should we assume that if there is a positive vote for TPA that there would also be a positive vote for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or are they separate? Um, I think that you need to be very careful because one of the measures that was absolutely instrumental in getting that level of support from the Democrats has been the provision that basically says the president can't sign it until the agreement, TPP, has been made public for 60 days. And I think you know, once we see the agreement, once the public has had a chance to review the agreement, there will probably be a fair amount of dialogue. But obviously one of the arguments for TPA is that this is a growing part of the world. 
95% of all consumers in the world live outside of the United States, and we can't cede this ground to our economic competitors in the form of India or China. The fact that TPP is forward on the next move, I think, is significant to the TPA vote. You've been outspoken about ending the embargo and beginning normalized trade with Cuba. Thoughts that they may come to legislation this year uh, on top of the executive order by the president? Well, I sure would. I, I sure would like that. I don't think it's likely that it'll come. And so, what we've been trying to do is figure out small things that we can do, you know, that will actually advance trade with Cuba, especially agriculture trade, agricultural trade with with Cuba, and. Um, so uh, I have a bill that uh, basically says, look, you know, why why shouldn't we allow private financing of these deals? We're losing out to Vietnam on rice. We're losing out to um, Brazil. We're losing out to Argentina. Let's let's at least, if somebody is willing to take the private risk, let's let them do that. And and that seems like a a pretty simple measure. I'm hoping that we'll be able to see um, that move forward. Obviously. In the Senate, unfortunately, one person can really uh, gum up the works, and and if this doesn't move by unanimous consent, it's probably likely that a bill like this would either need to be attached to another measure or it would need to get floor time, and I think given the competition for floor time, that's not likely. I I don't see, uh, at least this year, um, the embargo um, being being lifted in, in, in its entirety. I think it's really important that we begin to erode some of the consequences of the embargo, like um, the inability to use private financing to finance a, uh, an agricultural trade deal. There seems to be, even those who oppose lifting the embargo, an affinity for the Cuban people, but an overall still distrust of the Cuban government. Well, that, that, there's there's good reason for that. Um, I have had an opportunity to travel to Cuba and went and visited a, a co-op farm. Um, just very industrious people. I mean, just absolutely lovely. Uh, and and I met a young veterinarian who was working on a a new feed mix for his cattle, and it was it, it was they're very engaging. And I I can only imagine that we would have a wonderful opportunity to do exchanges, which we can already do, but make it easier to do exchanges. And I do want to point something out. The hotel that we were in, in Havana, was full of people from the United States who had gone up to Canada or taken the route to Cuba through another country. And so, you know, it, you have to kind of look at this and say, what logic does that make? If I have a hotel full of Americans, mostly from New York and New Jersey, I mean, what are we doing here? And and I think this is the right step. I think it's critically important that we open up this opportunity. And, and you know, the Castros aren't going to live forever. And hopefully as part of this and as part of the movement, um, part of the effort to lift the embargo, part of the, the normalization of relationships, we'll see a much better um, democratic government. But that's always the, the great hope. Senator, at the time of our conversation, we don't know the outcome, but we are pending a decision from the World Trade Organization regarding the U.S. law and country of origin labeling. Uh-huh. Regardless of what comes out, what's the next step from the U.S. Congress? How do you see Mr. Roberts and the Ag Committee on the Senate side taking action? Well, you know, we debated cool um, during the 
the uh, farm bill debate, and um, there there was a lot of opposition to it. We were, and I'm, I'm uh, personally uh, in favor of the the policy. Obviously, we're we're awaiting an outcome. Um, I I think speculation would tell us that it's probably not going to be good for country of origin labeling, and so I think that the next step would be to sit down, take a look at what the decision is, and then begin the process of negotiation at, at the WTO level. Does that move to the top of the agenda or immediate, immediately, or do you have some time in light of potential retaliation? Well, it, I think it depends on what that retaliation is and, and what they select, obviously. But again, and without the order, it's hard to know um, basically what the next steps are, but I would expect that there might be some discussion with USDA and with the USTR and, and trying to figure out how we're going to um, maintain the spirit of our policy and make it trade compliant. Over the last week, the House of Representatives took action to turn back the EPA's pending decision and definition of waters of the U.S. What action do you expect in the Senate what are you willing to do? Well, as you know, I've introduced a bill, a bipartisan bill, with Senator Donnelly and Senator Inhofe and, and Barrasso um, to basically set out some parameters. And what I like to remind people is what we did in that bill was nothing more than what had been promised in speeches by the EPA administrator and by the head of the Corps. And so we think we've got a good substantive package. I think if we just do these short time, you know, we aren't going to fund you, then we're in the political realm and we still don't have certainty for, for landowners and certainly for my ag producers. And so I would like a debate. I'd like Congress to do what they're supposed to do, which is legislate in this uh, area of uncertainty. We've tried litigation. We've tried rules. None of that's worked to give certainty. I think we've got a pretty good bill that we've been able to discuss. Uh, now, I will tell you, we need to obviously pick up more Democratic support. I was encouraged that during the budget debate, we were able to get six Democrats who basically said we ought to look at this waters of the United States problem um, moving forward. Um, that doesn't mean that they would necessarily support our bill. And one of the concerns that I have is that with, without actually seeing the rule, a lot of, a lot of the people who might support our legislation are, are waiting to see what the rule, uh, what the rule outcome is. And so uh, we expect that's going to be sometime in June. Um, you know, once again, uh, it, it, it is, it is beyond me why we can't understand how the real world works in Washington, D.C., so that we can do things like give you 179 uh, certainty at the beginning of the tax year instead of two weeks before the end of the tax year. And, and um, we give you certainty on, on jurisdictional waters so that you know what the rules are going forward. And obviously, this is enormously frustrating and uh, it causes a great deal of concern um, legitimate concern in farm country. We're going to continue to push. You're operating under the shadow of the veto pen, and it seems as though unless you can come up with 67 votes, the outcome is ultimately accepting the new definition or a courtroom. Well, I never, I never assume that we can't do the right thing and that the rational and common sense thing, even though, you know, you know, watching things happen as, as uh, they do in Washington, you can frequently shake your head. In fact, um, I, I once said when I got there, I'm going to write a book 
and it's going to be entitled, That Makes No Sense. And, and to me, <laughs> it, here's, here's an opportunity that we have to do what we're supposed to do, which is to legislate and have a debate on this. This is a significant enough policy that I think it should warrant some, some real time. And, and the problem is that without that dialogue, what we're going to get is probably short-term budget results by that, not funding this, not doing that, not doing this. And that, then it's in the political realm year to year instead of giving us the certainty we need. Moving to the Environmental Protection Agency, their decision on the renewable fuel standard is at the Office of Management and Budget, and some say there could be a decision by the 1st of June. What do you expect if that number is not favorable to the law that was approved before? What's your next step? Well, it's it, it, this has been enormously frustrating as well. I, I mean, people say, well, why aren't you legislating on the RFS? I said, because I think the law is pretty clear. And unfortunately, EPA has, has uh, created this confusion unnecessarily. And so um, I think we're going to have to have a ongoing discussion. We've been trying to get this reviewed, this policy analyzed at every level of the administration, including the White House. Um, we will continue to push and push and push. And I think if the rule is contrary to the law, I think EPA could expect a lawsuit. Would you expect that Congress would take another step or leave it for the courts? Again, back to how much, how much bandwidth there is to deal with all of these issues that Congress has to deal with. I think this is one that it's not likely you're going to see uh, legislative fixes um, in the in the wind, in part because the policy is fairly controversial. It has been said that the Department of Agriculture is coming with a program that would allow food companies to certify that their product is GMO-free. How do you see that USD action in light of the legislation of the House from Mike Pompeo with regard to a national food labeling standard? Uh, is there legislation coming in the Senate regarding GMO labeling? And what do you see of what the USDA action uh, is pending? Well, I think um, USDA it, it, it will it will amp up um, the concern for these policies, and I think right now the industry is is very worried about state to state to state regulation um, you know, on, on labels. And this is an issue that I've been studying and have dealt with since the nineteen. Uh, 90s when I was on the Trade and the Environment Policy Advisory Committee for the USDR and when Europe was really pushing GMO labeling. And, and the concern that I have is that it sends the message that there is some scientific basis for being concerned about GMO, you know, consumers being concerned about GMO food, which I think no one can ever show um, that there's any really legitimate science behind any of those concerns. So that's where that's my starting point. Now, I also can appreciate that states have sovereign interests and um, different interests, and that um, when when states hear the word preemption, which that would be preemptive, that gets states' backs up, even if it's not something that they would necessarily do. And so I think you're, we're challenged a little bit by kind of this perception that GMO food somehow is altered and, and not healthy, um, which is false. And, but, but you put that against the backdrop of preemption arguments, which automatically engage state entities like the governors and the, 
the attorneys general and um, uh, state legislators um, in terms of seeing that their sovereignty is being infringed upon. And so these are these are tough issues. I expect that we're going to see a bill introduced. Um, I don't know if that bill could get passed, but uh, I'm pretty clear that I think GMO food is not something that consumers should in any way be concerned about. Last week we spoke with uh, ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson, and he suggested that during the appropriation process, if there are those who attempt to change the crop insurance program with, per se, a means test, that it could put some states, and he mentioned North Dakota, at risk of finding affordable coverage. What are your thoughts about a tax on crop insurance during the appropriation process, and uh, is the Ag Committee ready to stand up? Well, let me tell you, I, we, we were able to resist during the budget process a rollback on the Farm Bill, which was negotiated. And so anything that deals with that negotiated package, and you know how farm bills are put together. There's some here for you and some here for you and some here for you. You start unraveling that, and you will um, create huge problems. And as we push back in the budget, I expect that we'll be successful in pushing back against changes, uh, uh, backdoor changes to the farm bill. Senator Heitkamp, we thank you so much for taking time to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and the audience is yours. Well, listen, one of the things that I care about deeply is rural America. Uh, it makes sense that I come from North Dakota. I'm going to care about rural America. But I, I think I'm one of the few people who gets up every day, goes to work, and says, what's going to happen on the farm? What's going to happen in, in the, on the countryside? And one of the things that we know is as our farmers get more and more automated, we have a, a lot of people living in rural America aren't necessarily engaged in agriculture. And so we've got to do everything that we can to make sure that we don't lose infrastructure, farm-to-market roads, that we, that we have access to broadband, that we have rural development. And, and I think one of the priorities, having passed the Farm Bill, the second priority is what do we need to do for rural development? And, and that's a, a, an interest that I take to the Small Business Committee. That's an interest I take to Homeland Security, where I've been working on rural fire department issues. So every committee that I'm on, I deal with rural America, and we need to be very, very vigilant that that um, we don't get forgotten in in the great policy making as as more and more of our legislators, especially on the House side, are urbanized. And so uh, we got to stand up for rural America, and that's a big part of what I do every day. Our thanks to North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.